0: Today's sponsor is Alley We all know how important moms are for kids. But did you know that one of the biggest influences on a girl's confidence and self-esteem is her dad? So if her dad says she's smart or fearless at sports or she can do anything she puts her mind to, she believes him maybe more than her mom? I don't know. The praise and confidence a girl gets from her dad stays with her for life. There's a startup out of L.A. that is focused on just that. Started by a mom, it's called Alleyoop, and it provides a collection of fun challenges and activities that are specifically designed for a dad and daughter to do together as a team. There are no materials required, and you can access all the challenges virtually through the Alleyoop app, which you can download from the App Store. Just search for Alleyoop, A-L-L-E-Y-O-O-P. It's early access only right now, but if you use the code bookmom, capital B for book, capital M for mom, bookmom, all one word, upon sign-in, your favorite dads and daughters can check it out for free. I had the privilege of interviewing Liz Moore a couple times already. The first time we had a horrible technology snafu and she was very cool about letting me move platforms at the last minute and doing our podcast via Zoom, basically. Anyway, so that was fun and that's what you're going to listen to now. So at the beginning, I think we might have both been a little bit flustered since I had so many tech problems on my end. But I think I calmed down towards the end. I also got a chance to interview her on Instagram Live. So if you want to see visuals of us, you can watch us on IG Live. And she'll be at my book club. We'll be discussing Long Bright River, which is Liz Moore's bestselling novel and was a GMA book club pick at my June 9th, I think I'm getting that right, at my June 9th virtual book club. And if you haven't joined my virtual book club yet, you should. I do it through bookclubs, B-O-O-K-C-L-U-B-Z.com, bookclubs with a Z. And it's just a coincidence that it's a Z, even though it's in my name. Anyway, bookclubs.com, and we will be reading her book and talking about that from 2 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. on June 9th, Eastern Time, and then she joins us from 2.30 to the 3, and I do my book clubs every Tuesday. So anyway, Liz Moore is not only the best selling author of A Long, Bright River, but she's also the author of acclaimed novels Heft and the Unseen World, a winner of the 2014 to 2015 Rome Prize in Literature. She lives in Philadelphia. So take a listen and get to know Liz like I did. Welcome, Liz. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Long Bright River, oh my gosh, so good. I can't wait to talk to you about it. For anybody who hasn't read Long Bright River, can you please tell listeners what it's about?
1: Sure. Long Bright River is the story of two sisters who grow up adjacent to the neighborhood of Kensington in Philadelphia, which is a neighborhood that's been particularly hard hit by the opioid crisis. And as adults, they have become estranged, although they were very close as children. The older one, Mickey, is a police officer, and the younger one, Casey, is suffering from opioid addiction and At the start of the novel, Casey goes missing at the same time that a series of murders of women who fit her demographic profile is occurring, and Mickey makes the decision to go looking for her so that's the start
0: What inspired you to write this book? It seems like like you couldn't have just imagined this. You must have like been in this situation in some way or seen some of this close up. Tell me, tell me about that.
1: Sure. I guess there were kind of two different sources of inspiration. And the first is that my own family has a history of addiction over the course of multiple generations, like many families. And the second is that I, in 2009, when I first moved to Philly, I'm not from here, although I live here now, I was invited by the photographer Jeffrey Stockbridge to come to Kensington, where he was making a series of portraits of the residents of the neighborhood and also some of the buildings in the neighborhood. And he wanted somebody who could interview his subjects while he made their portraits. So he knew I was a writer. He invited me. I went up and I only went with him a handful of times, but I became very moved by what I saw and the people I spoke to and ended up returning to the neighborhood many times on my own first to do, to write sort of nonfiction sketches that became kind of the basis of some of the descriptions of the neighborhood itself in terms of its appearance in the book. And also to do volunteer work. I ended up teaching free writing workshops at a women's day shelter there. So all of those experiences combined were sort of the foundation of Long Bright
0: River. And let's start... Back earlier in your career, how did you become a writer and what part of it was most appealing to you about the writing life, the writing world? How did you get into it? I, let's see, I always really liked writing as a kid. I wrote,
1: you know, in a diary. I I wrote mostly poetry actually when I was growing up. But in college, I was actually more interested in music. I played guitar and I wrote songs and I formed a band. I went to college in New York and On the weekends, I was working at a guitar store in the village, sort of as my part-time job. And there I met a lot of different people who were also involved in music in various ways. So the first things that I wrote were actually related to music. I wrote a series of interconnected short stories about the music industry that formed my first novel, which was called The Words of Every Song. And at that point, I sort of had to decide whether that was a one off like if i just wrote a book because i was interested in music and and i was interested in writing about music but what i found was that i be i was becoming more and more interested in in the writing as opposed to the music and so i sort of my music career really tapered off at that point and i became much more serious about writing and subsequently published a novel called heft and a novel called the Unseen world um and now long great river is my fourth book none of my books have really had much to do with each other. I tend to write in a variety of different, about a variety of different subjects. Probably the one thing that links them is that they're very character heavy, character driven. Whether I'm writing sort of a crime drama, like Long Bright River is, or or something that's more concerned with family and ancestry, like Heft or The Unseen World, it had a little dose of like speculative fiction or science fiction in it, although it too was more concerned about its family, the family at the center of it.
0: So what was it like after writing all these books to have this book be a GMA book club pick and like just get, just blow up? What was that like for you?
1: It was moving in a weird way. Like I, you know, my career has certainly been like a, I guess a slow build. <laughs> like I can't tell, probably only a very few people ever read The Words of Every Song when it came out. And more people read Heft, but, but certainly not as many as have read Long Bright River and responded to it. And so it feels like with every book, I've gotten like a, a slightly bigger and bigger readership. And now what's cool is people are, I think, going back to read my backlist a bit. If, if Long Bright River is the first book they've read by me, which is great and meaningful. I mean, those are books that I spent years working on. I, I'm a kind of a slow writer. I tend to publish once every four or five years. So it's nice. You know, I put, I put a lot of time into each book and it's nice to know that they're kind of being read again for the first time. I also am aware, like it feels weird. I, I don't, with Long Bright River, when I, I got good news about it, when I got the news that it would be a GMA book club pick or that it was on the bestseller list, which was also a big first for me. I am happy and proud and also very aware. I think that it's doesn't feel exactly correct to have a big celebration about it because the book is about some pretty serious Topics that profoundly impact a lot of families in the u s including my own, so it's like it's a, it's a strange mix of emotions, I would say
0: and let's talk if you don't mind if we could talk more about your own family's history with addiction, how has that affected you When were you first aware of it, and how how close did it get? How, how has it played into your life if you don't mind my asking well the
1: I sort of thought a lot about how much I would talk about it prior to the book's publication because I think it's a fair question. And what I've settled on is like, I'm willing to say that my family has a history of addiction, but not much more than that, because most of the stories are, aren't really my own to tell. And I respect, you know, I have some, I have a complex relationship with organizations like AA and NA. But one thing I do very much respect is the idea that that people who use organizations to help them in their recovery require anonymity as part of their recovery so you know i i tend to to say that the line, my, my family has a history of addiction and and not much more than that. Although it's certainly true that I think for every writer, I know there's a certain amount of, it's difficult to write fiction without having a sort of autobiographical spark someplace in it. As some writers, I think wouldn't even say that, but I do. I think every book I've written, you can trace elements of it back to my own personal history or my family history.
0: And what do you think the effect on you as someone who has watched this develop around you has been like. What is your point of view now on the opioid crisis and all all of it? Like, do you feel it's a failing of the government? Do you feel like this is more of a political thing? Do you feel like this is a hereditary thing that's just predetermined? Like, how how have you come out after analyzing this for years? I think it's a huge mix of genetic
1: predisposition in some cases. But one of the central themes of the book is the idea of nature versus nurture and how it can be that. Two siblings in the same family come out so different as adults. And I think the answer to that is that there's certainly, you know, some people have a genetic predisposition to it. And also even within the same family, two people can have very different experiences of nurture, you know, whether it's, we're talking about birth order or whether we're talking about the circumstances of one's family when one was growing up. I think you see this a lot in families where there's a big, a large age gap between siblings, especially like the parents themselves can have a completely different, for example, completely different economic circumstances between when, you know, one child was born and the other child was born. And I think all of those things contribute to why one person might suffer from addiction and one might not. I do believe that there have been huge systemic failures that have contributed to this particular wave of opioid addiction in the United States. And I'm glad to see some legislation is starting to be imposed that protects the individual from kind of like the profiteering of pharmaceutical companies. But it's in a lot of ways, the damage has already been done. And and this very insidious addiction has already made its way into family units. and it And we will feel the effects of that for generations, I think
0: one of the things that you just said that I find particularly interesting is how people in the same family can have such different experiences of their childhoods and of being even in that family. In fact, one quote in your book, you said, in fact, it is possible to argue, I believe, if we were to evaluate who had the more difficult childhood, whatever that may mean, one might find the balance tipped toward me. I say this because of the two of us. I am the only one with memories of our mother and very fond ones at that, right? So somebody experiences the loss of a parent, the other sibling doesn't. Who has the harder childhood? I mean, I have four kids with a huge age difference between them. And I mean, this is not the same situation, but I mean, I even just in like the parenting of those kids, I am a completely different person. So, you know, it's a couple years, a couple circumstances, all of it makes your own childhood and the whole trajectory of your life completely different, which I love that you included in this book. And in so many ways, like it's another sort of river of plot that sort of courses through the story, which I just thought was amazing. I have said, sadly, that I think my younger child at this age,
1: I had read like a thousand more books to my older child. I hope they never listened to this as adults, but like, I think the younger child's you know i i hope he will get other benefits that my that my older daughter didn't have but but certainly there's like a big gap in the number of books he's been read versus her
0: yeah i actually feel like i've gotten better in that i can't obsess about everything as much i don't know about you but like with my older kids every movement I had like a running dialogue in my head of if I was doing it right or if I wasn't, and could I be maximizing this music class by clapping instead of just having this kid on my lap? And by the fourth kid, I was lucky to even get to music class, and I would just like kind of throw him there and like pat myself on the back for making it. <laughs> so he's much more laid back than my older kids. I'll say that.
1: <laughs> that's what you have to. Be- I, that's what I have to believe to survive as a parent is that like you know, being hands-off also has benefits to a person, to a child in certain ways, or else, yeah, it's, it's too easy to, to obsess.
0: My, my mother always used to tell me with my older kids as I constantly hovered over them, she would say, benign neglect, just don't even pay attention. I'm like, What? (laughs) And now, as I've been like you know zooming in my office with like four kids behind the door all through this pandemic, I'm like, all right, mom, I finally did benign neglect. Doing it, doing it now. How do you find being a parent has affected your writing, if at all? Has it, or it certainly has. This is I'm typically pretty good at like
1: finding ways to to. Like find time to write, no matter what. This is the first time I've really been stumped. This this quarantine and this you know without childcare, and I have a, a one year old and a three year old, and my husband has a very busy full time job, which he can do remotely, but it's you know the kind of job where he is like constantly virtually face to face with lots of different people all day long from from dusk from dawn till dusk. So that means that I am able to finagle like like this, for example, I was like, I, I'm going to do this book event and I require this amount of time to do it. And he's like, okay, I got it. I got the kids. But what tends to get pushed off completely is writing because it's not, there's, there's nobody to answer to with writing. I don't, I don't like to have, I don't like to sell my books in advance. I like to write a complete manuscript before selling them. Some authors prefer to have a deadline. Into, I don't really like deadlines. But in this case, it sort of backfired on me because nobody's waiting, you know? Like, no, I don't have any editor saying, where's the draft? I don't, so for that reason, it's very easy to say, well, that's the one thing that nobody's, you know, expecting of us. And so unfortunately right now, it's it's almost no writing is being done. Until we are allowed to reintroduce childcare, I don't think there will be any writing, sadly, which makes me not the nicest person to be around right
0: now. (laughs) There's so many things making me not the nicest person to be yeah. around right now. And <laughs> I'm like you, I love to write. It's like how I maintain my sanity. And that's like, aside from writing up other people's books, which I also love to do, I haven't been able to do any of the writing that actually helps me yeah. because I'm like, that's an indulgence that I don't have the luxury of doing right now. So, I mean, yours is not so much an indulgence as like creating amazing <laughs> literary fiction, but it's hard because it feels like it's something, it's like a bonus thing because writing is like so, I don't know, but I, there's, anyway, anyway, yes. there's a comment
1: to it that is, is, that I, it sounds like we're both really missing right now. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's very sad, but you know, I have interviewed other authors during this time who say that, They aren't writing, but they're collecting so much information that will eventually be used in books. So there are different parts of the writing process. And this is like the input influx moment. So not to think of it as wasted time, but almost like research or, you know, things that they will be able to use in different ways later. They're just not actually focusing on the words getting on the page right now. So I don't know. I felt felt like that was somehow reassuring. I don't know if that feels reassuring to you, but... (laughs) Yeah, I hope it's just
1: getting like compressed and compressed and compressed and then it will just like spring out of me fully formed at some point. That's a nice thought. I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to hang on to it.
0: (laughs) Sometimes even just the thought of it makes the moment feel better. (laughs) When you mentioned that you are a slow writer, is it that you take time to do a ton of research? Is it that you take time to outline and then... Or is it that each sentence is a slow like deliberation and crafting of the words? What part of it takes you the longest? Or is it all of it? I think
1: it's mostly that I never worked from an outline. And so I don't really know what the story will be until I'm writing it. And often that results in feeling like I have sent the characters off in the wrong direction, like many, many, many times and bringing them back to the initial, pre- the only thing I really know is the initial premise of the book, like who the characters are where they are in time and place and what their first problem is. So with Long Bright River, I knew that there were two sisters. I knew what they did for for work or what their circumstances were. And I knew that Casey would disappear, but I didn't know anything else. I didn't know if Casey would be alive or dead. I didn't know if Mickey, what would happen with Mickey's job. You know, I, I didn't know who the culprit was. I, I didn't know anything else. And therefore it's just kind of a lot of like stumbling through until you figure it out. And every time there's a twist or some revelation that comes, it's also a surprise to me. (laughs) And therefore usually I have to like go back and substantially rewrite everything I've written so far to accommodate that change. So that's why it takes me a long time.
0: Maybe you should start like a choose-your-own-adventure type addendum to your books. All the paths they went on and like, should they go this way or should they not? Why waste all the pages?
1: <laughs> I actually live in fear of anyone ever discovering my drafts or like the all the documents leading up to the final document because they look like mad ravings. You know, it's like just <laughs> in all drafts. And then make sure to not to forget to do this. And like in red, you know my Word font, just reminders to myself. <laughs> yeah, it um, works. All right. Well, way. we won't
0: break into, We won't break into your computer and dig up your drafts. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? I guess just,
1: I mean, di- uh, I hate the word discipline, but it's like, it took me a long time to learn it. I, I guess instead of discipline, I'll just say like, make appointments with yourself and honor them and don't let yourself be distracted by technology during those times. The best advice I've ever heard is like, you know, there's not really such a thing as writer's block. It's if you make, if you, if you show up to a blank screen, whether it's computer or paper for a designated amount of time every day or however many days a week you want you will produce something if you don't allow yourself to look, to go online or go on social media or text or do anything, you will produce something. And if you do that enough times, you will accumulate words. And there's, that's a, that's a very important step is just learning how to produce words on a schedule and in, a, in an organized way. And then the next step, of course, is like trying to make those words good, but just the act of like, producing words, accumulating words is something that I think most writers never actually do. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not fun to write, but it is certainly cathartic and therapeutic for me. And that's why I do it.
0: Awesome. Well, it's also therapeutic to read it. (laughs) So thank you for writing it. And thank you oh so much for coming on. Moms don't have time to read books and IGTV, and we will make that happen. And thanks for your patience with the technology. And by the way, with a one and a three-year-old, I mean, it's amazing you get anything done ever because those are really hard years. So hang in there and the words will come later. <laughs> it gets easier. I appreciate your voice for the future. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having <laughs> me. <sister. laughs> Yeah, call, call me when they're 13 and I'll give you some tips. <laughs> I, all right, take well, care. Set of issues, i sure, But right, thanks, Zibby, bye. <laughs> Bye-bye, thanks. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to today's sponsor, Alley Oop, A-L-L-E-Y-O-O-P. Check it out at the App Store and start bonding with dads and daughters right away for free with code BOOKMOM, B-O-O-K, capital B-M-O-M, capital M, if that makes sense, BOOKMOM. (laughs) Thanks for checking it out. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.